You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 25 together. Genesis 25, we're doing verse 19 to 34. Let's read together. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 14 years old. When he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Pandan-Maram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the the. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we just glorify you on this beautiful day. Lord, we declare you holy and mighty. God, we thank you for your word that is alive and is working, is transforming. God, I pray for our hearts to be fertile soil today, God, that your word would take root in us. And change us. God, I'm unequipped, God, and I'm incapable of carrying the weight of your word. So I ask, God, that you would um, 
speak through me, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, you would minister to your people today, God, and you would be glorified in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are going to look at uh, the Bible's, one of the first examples in the Bible of a super dysfunctional family. Uh, Maybe you come from a dysfunctional family. Uh, Statistically, I'm pretty sure a lot of us do. I certainly do. Uh, Maybe it's not too far of a stretch of the imagination that you're in this city because you are escaping a dysfunctional family somewhere else. We need to know that um, God's word is alive and is teaching us and it is relevant even now for us to hear about the challenges that Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob went through because it's relevant to us today. So we're going to look at the main characters in this portion of scripture. We're going to look at the demise of Isaac, the dismissal of Esau, and the determination of Jacob. As you can see, my training is going very well. All of my points have the same letter. <laughs> Let's start by looking at Isaac. Isaac is, of course, the son of Abraham. At the very beginning of uh, this portion of Scripture, verse 19, it says it back to back twice in a row that uh, Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was his father. It's really driving home the importance of this relationship. If we remember just a few chapters ago, Isaac was born as the promised one to uh, Abraham and Sarah. They had been praying. Uh, they were both around 100 years old. So Isaac was literally a miracle child when we're introduced to him. And then we get a glimpse of Isaac's character as a young man. Uh, Remember, Abraham was tested, and God said, go up to the mountain in Moriah and take your son. You're going to sacrifice him to me. And we learn that Isaac is no slouch. He carried the pile of wood on his back up the mountain for this sacrifice. And in this, we see that Isaac was both obedient and faithful because Abraham's like 100, over 100 years old. He's like 115 to 120 years old at this point. And it says that Abraham bound Isaac and put him on the altar. Now, Isaac is a strong teenage boy. Abraham's an old dad. <laughs> he could have resisted if he wanted to, but he didn't. He believed in faith what Abraham had said before they went up the mountain. Isaac, God will provide. He'll provide a sacrifice. And it's really a beautiful foreshadowing of Christ when we see Isaac, totally capable of resisting this, willingly going onto the altar, just as Christ would do for us. And in this text now, as Isaac's an older man, we see that he's a man of prayer. It says that just like his father and mother before him, Isaac's family was stricken with barrenness. Rebekah could not have children. But unlike his father and his mother, Isaac did not try to create a way out for God. He didn't try to uh, come up with a solution on his own. He didn't take uh, one of his wives, uh, uh, take on another wife or one of his wife's servants. Instead, it says that he prayed for his wife, Rebecca. For 20 years, he prayed for his wife, Rebecca. I want to ask you, how long have you been praying for God to do something to move. Uh, There's a promise in your heart you're believing for and you've been praying for it. 
When I was in high school, uh, I started getting serious about my walk with the Lord. I was saved as a young kid, but it really didn't take root until I was in high school. And um, being a good husband and a father was this really important thing to me. I, like I said, I came from a dysfunctional family. I just had this real desire to be a good dad and a good husband. And uh, so one of my mentors said, you know, start praying for your wife now. So as a senior in high school, literally, I would do like my devotion in the morning and I'd pray and I'd ask God to, to cover my wife wherever she was, that he would keep her pure, that he would keep her secure, that she'd fall in love with you. And the first day of college, moving, on, moving into the dorms, my freshman year, I met Noelle. That's what she says. I actually don't remember that, but... <laughs> It's way more romantic if I say it that way, but I don't really remember it. So we started dating in uh, like April of that year. I, uh, I saw her at a basketball game and I like nudged my friend like, who is that? He's like, oh, you don't know Noelle? Oh, Noelle, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's athletic. She, da, 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 da. So we've been married 12 years in this coming July. We have three kids and I can tell you that God answered every prayer and way more that I ever prayed for my wife. Uh, She had never dated a guy. She'd never been kissed. Um, She was a dream come true. God is faithful. We need to realize that these accounts in scripture are written for a purpose that we can grow in our understanding of who God is, is, what his character is. God reveals to us who he is as we read his word. He's telling us, pray to me, give me your heavy burdens, lay down your troubles, give me the desires of your heart, and then watch what I'll do as you commit it to me. And wouldn't you know it, that prayer works. Rebecca becomes pregnant, not with one, but with two children, twin boys. Now this is where we begin to see the demise of Isaac the story starts to take a downturn for him. And we need to, it's important that we pay attention to what happens to Isaac's heart through this part of the story. It says, Rebecca's in pain from the twins that are wrestling, that are jostling in her belly. If you've ever been around a woman pregnant with twins, you know there's not a lot of real estate uh, for those two as they are getting bigger. We have a friend in Southern California who is pregnant with twins. She's a tiny thing, like this tall. And by like the eighth month, it looked like she swallowed one of those exercise balls. Like she's just like, boom. And uh, she was bedridden the last eight weeks. And literally she was like, get these things out of my body. You can imagine then for Rebecca what this must have meant, uh, how much pain she was in. If she had waited 20 years for this blessing, and then she cries out to God, why is this happening to me? 20 years she waited for the blessing, and then she's standing before God saying, why is this happening to me? And God gives her an astounding answer. In verse 23, God says that, There are two nations in your womb. There are two peoples within you that will be separated. One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. God determines the outcome, what the outcome will be with Esau and Jacob before they're ever born, before they make a decision, before they take a breath. Their fate is already decided. And this prophetic word from God, the older will serve the younger, this becomes the dividing line of this family. 
literally pulls this family apart. Isaac doubtlessly had heard this word from the Lord, and it didn't sit well with him. Isaac was unwilling to yield to what God had declared for his sons. The text tells us that Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. But do we know why Isaac loved Esau over Jacob? Maybe it was tradition. Tradition. The firstborn son would inherit the kingdom of his father. Maybe Isaac just didn't want to buck tradition. Or maybe it was because Isaac was this big, burly dude, hunter, uh, someone you could say, yeah, that's my boy. This is Esau. Check him out. And this is Jacob. (laughs) The text doesn't really say any of that, but here's what it does say. And it's shocking what it does say in verse 28. It says, Isaac who loved the taste of wild game, loved Esau. Loved the taste of wild game, loved Esau. Wild game, Esau. Could it really be that Isaac's great sin was being the first foodie? Before we cast any stones at Isaac, let's take a good hard look at us and our life. What place has comfort taken in our lives. If we were to take your personal budget, get onto Chase, your Chase account or your Wells Fargo account, whatever, and throw it up here and start ticking through uh, where you're spending your money and, and where the desires of your heart are placed, what would we see? Vacations? Clothes? The clothes one in most cities would be just for the women, but here... More guys like clothes in this city than I've ever met in my life. (laughs) Could it be food? City's full of great restaurants. Expensive dinners with great wine. Let's not marginalize, all joking aside, let's not marginalize that we love comfort in our life, which includes comfort food. And at times we're willing to choose comfort even over obedience to God. Look at this quote from Alexander White. Uh, He wrote a book called The Characters of God. And in it he says, when I read Isaac's whole history over again, with my eye upon the subject, it becomes as clear as a sunbeam to me that what envy was for Cain What wine was for Noah, what lewdness was to Ham, what wealth was to Lot, what pride and impatience was to Sarah, venison and savory meat were to Isaac. This is the dominant issue in Isaac's old age, and it was a weakness. Seems like a silly thing, but it was a weakness that the enemy used to pit Isaac against God's given plan for his son. It divided their family. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. The text starts to give us some insight into the difference of these two brothers. Uh, The context I think about when I read this is the movie Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. 
Esau was a hairy, red-colored guy. He was a hunter and spent a lot of time in the open country. He didn't mind being alone. Jacob was not hairy like Esau. Later we learned he was a smooth-skinned boy. And he spent his time around the tents, around community, learning, and obviously he was cooking. He wanted to be close to people, particularly his mother. He was a mama's boy. As we see, as we'll see with Jacob, he was waiting for just the right moment to change his future. One day while Jacob was in the tents making stew, Esau burst in like a wild animal. Hair's disheveled. He's smelling something fierce. Uh, He had that crazy look in his eye. It's been a while since Esau had a meal or a shower. Esau smells the stew and his stomach starts just grumbling and turning and he demands a bowl. And Jacob sees an opportunity. Now if you or I were at home making soup and your brother or sister came in and said, hey, that smells good. Uh, can I have some soup? You'd be like, yeah, here's some soup. Take it. Or maybe you've got like a serious sibling rivalry within your house. And you'd be like, yes, but you'll do my chores for the next six months. Or you'll pay me your, uh, uh, what's that called? Allowance for a few weeks. But Jacob doesn't go to something small. He goes big. He goes, I want your birthright for that soup. And what was Esau's birthright? We need to understand the context of what it, what it meant. In this time and culture, see, Esau would get some pretty big perks for being the first one out of Rebekah's womb. First, he would get a double portion of the family wealth, meaning all of Isaac's possessions would be split into three portions. Two of those go to Esau, one would go to Jacob. This would be an enormous amount of wealth. It says that Abraham was a very wealthy man in cattle, in, uh, in, in money. And all of that passed to one son, Isaac. And you imagine over 60 years that this wealth was just accumulating and growing. It was a huge inheritance. The second thing Esau would get as the heir to the throne would be he'd become the head of the house. He would have all authority for making family decisions. He would speak for the family. And lastly, most importantly, there was a spiritual blessing that came with the birthright. Esau would become the descendant from whom God would make his chosen nation. Out of his line would come the Messiah who would crush the head of the serpent and restore shalom between God and man. It's Genesis 3.15. With the birthright came the promise of God that was first spoken to Abraham. So the birthright was of huge importance in this culture. Typically when the birthright was passed down, there was this huge celebration. The community was gathered and everyone witnessed this passing. But not in this family. This family become divided. And in the context, looking at the birthright, we begin to see the hearts of these two brothers revealed. Ironically for Esau, just like his father Isaac, his heart was misled by his stomach. Esau wants that stew, or he thinks he's going to die. Jacob, again, doesn't ask for something small and petty. He wants the birthright. 
And in many ways, this is the culmination of, of Jacob, what he's been after since inside his mother's womb. Uh, remember, the text told us that even as a baby, in, as they were being born, he's reaching out for the heel of Esau, trying to cross the finish line before his brother. Jacob desperately wanted the birthright. You can think of Gollum in the Lord of the Rings series. This is his precious This is the thing he is constantly setting his eyes and his heart on constantly, and it's just festering inside of him. And the crazy thing is that God had already promised it to Jacob. But Jacob did not have faith that God would come through on his promise. Instead, he was looking for an opportunity to take the birthright for himself. What a contrast in the way these two viewed their birthright. Let's look at Esau and, and his despise of the birthright. The text says that Esau had made an oath to give his birthright to Jacob. And then these series of words happen really fast. It says, then Esau ate, he drank, he got up, and he left. And as he left, he despised his birthright. These are strong, rapidly moving words Esau thought so little of his birthright that he not only sold it for the price of a bowl of soup, but he ate it quickly. It was gone, and he seemed to care less about it. Esau gave his birthright away for a very small price and was willing to share it with anyone if the price and the pleasure were right. I'm not sure we can blame Esau too much. Don't we all walk away from responsibilities that feel weighty on our shoulders? Isn't there a twinge inside of us when uh, we're asked to take on something that feels bigger than ourselves? The pattern that Esau took of eat, drink, get up, and leave, that can become a pattern in the way we deal with conflict and difficulty, the weights that are put on us. There's a great story about Franklin Graham, the son of famous evangelist Billy Graham. He grew up in the shadow of his father, constantly being introduced as the son of Billy Graham. He he really didn't have an identity of his own. And although he was part of the Christian faith his whole life, it, it never really took root in his heart. He was always trying to live up to expectations to carry the weight of this blessing until he got to college. Oh, college. And finally, he'd had enough. Similar to Esau, he bucks his birthright, his blessing, that identity, the heritage that was passed to him. He began partying and just enjoying himself and obviously a little too much because he gets dismissed from university. Imagine that. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, dismissed from college for bad behavior. It must have been hard to take. Listen, God uses that for his glory. Because in that event, Franklin experienced God's grace in a new way, a personal way. And his faith began to become his own. He went back to university, finished, uh, got his degree. And then he became the president of Samaritan's Purse, which is one of the largest Christian humanitarian organizations in the world. I think Franklin could have identified with the way Esau felt and the contempt he had for his birthright. Sometimes responsibilities come with a lot of baggage. But Esau never dealt with his contempt. He never overcame it 
Instead of receiving the grace and blessing, there was a bitter root that took hold in Esau's heart. That's exactly what happens to us. Contempt grows when it's undealt with and becomes like a disease that just festers inside us. We become bitter and angry and callous toward our life, similar to Esau. And then there's the determination of Jacob. Jacob, on the other hand, of course, he had been waiting for this moment his entire life. And in all honesty, Jacob was desiring the right thing. There had been a promise spoken over him. Jacob wanted to be the one to carry the family line, to see God's promise fulfilled in him, as it had been for his father and his grandfather. Jacob wanted the blessing of God, but he didn't want anything to do with God. Maybe you've been chasing a blessing in your life. Maybe you desire marriage. Maybe there's a a position uh, in your field that you just, you've got your eyes and your heart set on. Maybe you desire something really good, something that'll benefit other people. Maybe you want to save people from human trafficking or improve the environment. Maybe you want to feed the homeless. None of these things in and of themselves are bad things but they are completely empty without Christ. If you really want to help the environment, you need to fall in love with the creator of the universe who spoke photosynthesis into motion. If you really want to save people from human trafficking, you need to fall in love with the creator who knit them together in their mother's womb. This is what Christ says about the desires of our heart, the clothes we wear, uh, the things we seek after. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all of this will be added to you. Have your eyes set on Christ first and foremost. And then those desires, the passion that God has put within you, it will take its rightful place in your life. If that thing takes the not unrightful place as the head of your life, it'll be a mess. If you put Christ at the center of your blessing, it's gonna take that blessing to a whole new level of richness. Without Christ, that blessing never ultimately never will be able to meet your needs or bring you lasting joy or peace. If Jacob never surrenders this blessing of his life to God, then this birthright will become a burden without any peace attached to it. Without God, this birthright is just a power grab for Jacob that he will spend the rest of his life defending. But if Jacob submits this birthright, this hope to God, and allows God to use it for his glory, then it really doesn't become about Jacob anymore. Jacob can walk confidently in the plan that God has for his life and act obediently as God directs his path. No more lying, no more deceiving, just peace and rest in his heavenly father's grip. Christ, of course, is the hero of every story. And he is our greatest example of how we should look at our birthright, uh, of our blessing, of our salvation. In Philippians, 
chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says that Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. See, Esau esteemed his birthright with as little value as a bowl of soup. Jacob esteemed the birthright worth any cost, by any means necessary. Esau would freely give his birthright for the right price or the right pleasure. Jacob held tightly to the hope of that birthright, like his precious Christ is the best of both of these brothers. Christ was the only one who had, since Adam, had perfect peace, open relationship with God. No sin, no separation, perfect shalom. And he considered this as something to be given to all men freely. But Christ is the only one who could make that available to us. He knew that this birthright, this blessing was too valuable, greater than any price on earth. It would cost more than you or I could ever afford, any price we could ever pay. So in the greatest act of love and humility, of grace and of sacrifice, Christ paid the ultimate price, the shedding of his perfect blood that we might inherit now This blessing. Because of Christ on the cross, a new birthright has been passed to us. Because of Christ's resurrection, we can come unashamed before the Heavenly Father and receive love and acceptance. I challenge us to finish stronger than Isaac finished. To embrace our birthright and this blessing as a free gift all by grace. There's nothing you or I could ever do to earn any of God's grace. But it has been fully paid. Fully paid. And now that blessing of shalom, of salvation, of rest in God is freely ours to partake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we bask, Lord, we rest in your presence, God. We declare, Lord, that our works, God, anything we could ever do, Lord, is like filthy rags to you, and we know it, Lord, we declare it, and we receive and accept Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be your name, God. God, I pray for a new sense of calling for us, Lord, as uh, we accept our sonship in you. That we are children of the king and that that would transform the way we see ourselves and the mission of our life. God, it wouldn't be just another day for us, Lord. 
we'd have new passion for what you've called us to. God, I pray for a very real understanding of your authority in our life, God, that we would submit to you all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our passions. We would set our eyes on you, Christ, and Lord, that you would bless then all these things that would be added to us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.